thank you for inviting me. I really uh, love this platform of diversity and mushroom lovers from the grassroots level, not just a bunch of PhDs, but people who are actually putting their hands in it and, and getting dirty. This is great. Okay. As I said, usually the story starts with this guy, Mr. Gordon Wasson. He, in 1957, was uh, interviewed by Life magazine about this great finding uh, that he uh, embarked on. Well, this journey that he and his wife embarked on ended here in uh, Mexico. And his findings were published in Life magazine. And that is basically what changed uh, the fabric of American life, what we considered American life. Um, ever since then. And it started with his newlywed wife, Valentina Pavlona, and she's the first woman I would like to present here today. Uh, she was from Russia, and he were, he, where he was from, they had a whole totally different idea on mushrooms. And we talked a, lot of, we talked a little bit about this in the other workshops about you know, why isn't this taught in school and why do people have such prejudices against mushrooms? Well, this encapsulated all that in, in Europe because there was one side of Europe that were what he, what he and his wife called mycophiles and the other side were mycophobes, meaning they were terrified of mushrooms. They considered them toadstools and whatever horrific names that, <laughs> that they had for them. But his wife, uh, when they were on a trip, spotted some mushrooms and was delighted and was harvesting them while he was calling her back like, you're going to kill us both here. What are you doing? And so they decided as a couple to study why these differences existed. And they decided to also write a book, a cookbook of mushrooms and decided that the footnotes were getting so heavy that they needed their own book. So she, she wrote a book, uh, Mushrooms in Russia and History, and she talked about all the stories that they have about mushrooms, how the children would go out and find the mushroom that, you know, her mother, it was a story how the mother told the child to go out and find a certain mushroom. And each time they came back with a different mushroom, sometimes they were edible, sometimes they weren't, but it wasn't the particular mushroom that she asked for. She would send them back on that journey to go find that mushroom. And so finally, she just finally got exasperated with the child bringing all the wrong mushrooms. And as soon as she walked out the door, there that delicious mushroom was standing there before her eyes. So this love was so ingrained in their society and in their culture that they would talk about it constantly, what dinners, what, where they found the best mushrooms, and, and all types of things. And I still see that today with the Europeans coming to, to the United States. Um, a lot of them will, sell, will, uh, will be customers for me because it, they're, they're, it's, it just transgresses all types of um, cultures and, and things like that. He, on the other hand, um, like I said, had the different background and wanted to uh, study why it was so different. And their guess that they postulated was that this had something to do with religion. 
It had something to do, it had some type of tie in religion. So they decided to, um, to, to complete this study, and I think it took about 30 years for him to actually run into our next woman, Maria Sabina, who we call a Sabia, a wise one, or a curandero, someone who can heal the sick. Uh, which one? Sabina, S-A-B-I-N-A. So when he got a word that there were still actually um, mushroom cultures using this psychedelic mushroom ritually, he had to go there and, and do more investigation. They said that these mushrooms were able to uh, give one prophetic uh, insight and um, do all these um, um, uh, amazing, miraculous things. Now, Maria Sabina was a seven or eight-year-old child when, when her and her sister, watching the animals playing underneath the tree, saw these psychedelic mushrooms. I believe they were, they were psilocybin, but I'm not, I think they were azarensis or cubensis, I'm not sure, but they were psilocybin mushrooms. And she recognized these mushrooms. Uh, she said to herself, these are the, the ones the curanderos will use to help heal the sick. So she said, I will take you and you and you, and I know you will help me to sing beautifully. So uh, I think two or three times she went back and took these mushrooms. And her mother, who didn't want to make a big fuss and, and a deal out of it, you know, she would see her laughing, but she didn't say much about um, her daughter on mushrooms. Until one day, her uncle fell sick. And all the curanderas in the, in the area, with all the medicine that they tried to give this man, they, none of them worked. And he was uh, deathly ill. And um, that's when Maria stepped in at the age of eight. She said she remembered the mushrooms telling her whenever she needed them, if she needed something, that, they, that she could come back to them and, she, and they would give her the answer. So she, she went and she took the mushrooms and she saw visions of a clear mountain with beautiful clear waters and herbs springing forth from that area. And when she came back to consciousness, she knew exactly where the mushrooms uh, had shown her. So she went back there, she got those herbs, she boiled them. At the age of eight, she was able to cure her uncle and bring him back to health. So this was, the, this was her um, beginning into uh, becoming a Sabia or a curandera, and, and she was uh, known throughout the village uh, for, for helping people cure and find answers to things that they needed. So yeah, just, just look at her. <laughs> uh, so they say that the, this world is beyond ours that you go into when you take a, partake of these mushrooms. It's where the dead live, where the spirits and the saints, and, um, and she would just impart this information. Now when Wasson came to Mexico and met her, he did not have the same interests as others, which was to heal or uh, find someone. He just wanted to uh, explore. 
He wanted to see if he could see the face of God. And, and so it was quite different, but she did invite him into her home and decided to uh, do a ritual for him, which was an all-night ritual, her taking mushrooms and being able to answer any questions uh, that he had. I believe he at one time was looking for his son and, and she had an answer for him that really surprised him because he didn't know that he was enlisting in the army and, and it actually turned out that uh, she knew what she was talking about. So he didn't take it lightly. He uh, stayed in contact with her and also used the mushrooms, um, took the mushrooms back to the laboratory to be, to be um, replicated and, and examined and, you know, and, and experimented with. So what happened was when Maria Sabina, uh, who he tried to protect in the article, um, uh, people found, when they found out about this, 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 these, these magic mushrooms, many people from the United States decided to make this uh, Mecca, this journey to Mexico to find this woman, even though he tried to hide her name. Give, um, Eva Mendez, I think was her name that he, he cited in the, uh, in the article. But they still figured out, how, uh, especially the big names, big rock stars, they were able to go to Mexico and find her. And she gave them the same, the same hospitality as she did Watson. She let them in and they were able to um, explore, explore this as a tool. And she became huge. It became uh, more than the village could handle, unfortunately, because now you had all these people coming and then you had Mexicans who were selling mushrooms and saying that they were curanderas, weren't, and a lot of uh, a drama then ensued with so many people coming in, unfortunately. And um, it, was, uh, it, was, it was a little bit unnerving, but the difference that it made in the United States was uh, taking these Wally Cleaver, beaver type people who were used to wearing white socks and you know and flooded pants and shirts and ties to uh, these people who were wearing no socks, no shoes, no shirt, <laughs> growing long hair and holding flowers. Now this was a problem for the government, of course, because you can't control these type of people. It's hard to get your soldiers to aim guns at someone holding a flower at the other end. So, of course, um, with the CIA intervening, they, they infiltrated and they also went to see Maria Sabina and they uh, tried to use the mushrooms in their, for their benefit. It didn't work. They tried to use it as a truth serum. They found that it, it, it did not, <laughs> it, it was not consistent. It was, they tried to use it as an anti-truth serum, still didn't work. So basically, they started a campaign against um, uh, calling it a drug, which it is not a drug. It is something that is created endogenously, endogenously in our bodies. Uh, it's said by the pineal gland and some other organs. Um, and we know that on the 49th day of, in, of um, 
of, of creation, when the, when the eyelids are formed, there's a, there's a dose of DMT that's released into the body. Also, during the birth, the passage in the canal, all the stress that one is endured uh, by the pressure, there's a, that's another time that is released into the body. And then also, at the time of death, uh, people's life flashing before their eyes or you know that euphoric feeling they say is another time that some people is their last you know well those are their only times but of course for some of us it's in between in those in in those uh periods of life that we are um that we do have that dmt released into our body for some for whatever reason it could be for some that are stressed, it could be for some that have gone to uh, a pilgrimage to sit in a cave in the dark for days, and then they'll have the DMT release. Because somehow it's connected with melanin in our body. So in the dark, the melanin and the serotonin are released, and that works with that, that DMT part of the body. So you'll see visions or what they call hallucinations. Um, which are all just uh, sometimes politically loaded words, um, hallucinations, because sometimes we get the notion that those aren't real visions, but they're saying that, yes, these things are real, it's just that the veil has been lifted. These are things that are always there, but once you take the mushrooms, once you ingest these mushrooms, that they're able to be lifted and you're seeing things that um, you, you wouldn't normally see because the brain has a, a filter so that we don't get all the information that's out there at once. Uh, so uh, back to Valentina Wasson, she had a uh, article right after her husband and she was one of the first to say that these mushrooms could probably be used for those people who have been deemed terminally ill, you know, to help people with uh, post-traumatic disorders, which now the studies, after four years, 40 years of being illegal, now the studies are showing that these are true. These 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 findings that um, th that they're helping people with post-traumatic uh, disorders, very strong. Um, that's gone through it for 20 years are able to take this and overnight do something that um, therapists couldn't do in, um, in, in, in visits for, for weeks. If you have any questions, please raise your hand and, and just, just jump in. Um, and I would like to leave the, the last 15 minutes for question and answers so that I can see what's, what's on you all's mind as well. Uh, so she would, she would sing songs with the uh, with the tradition of using the mushrooms, and and they went to record these these mushrooms and I mean these songs and and just really celebrated Maria Sabina. She was a very uh, a phenomenal woman. Now we have here the uh, some of the origins of of use for, for mushrooms. This area, now called the Sahara Desert, was not always a desert. 
At a certain time, it was lush. It was, it was bountiful. There were trees everywhere. And we were people who were eating from these trees mostly. And, at, and throughout time, the, the, the trees started to recede as the land started to dry out. So there were less, it was less vegetation, it was less um, food to eat, and, and people had to start looking for other sources of food. So what happened, as we know, a lot of women were <coughs> hunters, not hunters, but gatherers rather than hunters. And so we were the ones who would have lots of language skills, lots of speech, because we had to tell you our, and our daughters where to find that bush with the blue berries and the green leaves, not the ones with the yellow leaves, but the, you know, go over the hill and down the river. And we had to express those things verbally. So, so even today, as you see, we really have a, a great skill of verbalization as were men who were hunters, they were the ones who had to be still and quiet because you don't want to frighten the game away. As a matter of fact, if you're still, a deer, when he looks up and you don't move, he doesn't know you're there. But as soon as he goes down, you move again and you're very quiet, you have a, a better chance of, uh, of getting um, your, your game that day. So as you see, we're men and women differ, all stems from these years, thousands of years of us evolving to this point. And here we have, uh, here we have the Nile, which started to become the Mecca of civilization because everything else started to dry up. So lots of people started to come towards the Nile to survive and get water and, and grow food and, and, you know, by figuring out year after year, hey, those places where we threw the seeds, now there's plants and things. So we started to become more sedentary. And we, of course, started to look for food. Now the mushrooms in this day grew the size, when I say mushrooms, I mean the psychedelic mushrooms, they grew the size of dinner plates. They begged people to eat them. It's like, you know, how could you pass up this when you're looking for food? So we were able to eat these mushrooms, and they downloaded a plethora of information for us. For some, they were like, the, uh, like uh, what he showed us uh, with Boft, where we were seeing these deities. So it is said that these deities do exist. We did meet them, and it was on mushrooms. And that's why they replicated the things that they saw in Egypt with the pyramids and the clothing and the stylized um, things that they did was because they saw Ra and his family. And so now we have, um, so now we have a community of people who have been eating these mushrooms and we'll see a man walk in with a dog's head or a woman with a cat's head. <laughs> and she'll tell us, well, you know, you all need to 
move because a flood is coming and 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 it'll be better if you if you move further down the now. And we'll say, well, last year when she came and saw us, she told us this information. She was right. So I think we should listen to her. And, you know, we all saw her. So it was no it was no uh, guessing uh, who who knows it because we all saw her. We all saw the same thing. We're not crazy because we all saw the woman with the cat head walk in and say this. But now we're getting uh, drier and drier, so there's less mushrooms to be found. So now what do we do? Well, I think at this point we need to take the elders. I'm just saying, for example, we might say that the elders need to take the mushrooms, and they can go in and bring us back information and, and, and tell us what to do. And because we all had experience with that before, we know that when they say, well, they saw the woman with the cat head tell them something, we can say, well, okay, if they said it, then it must be true and we'll all do it. Well, now you have a, a situation where the children are being born, they have not experienced the mushrooms themselves, so now they have to have faith. They have to trust that you know what you're talking about and, and they're just going by the rituals that were set up from civilization. And then you start to have a, 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 a contamination or a tainted um, situation when you have people working in the fields and it's hard work, I have callus on my hands and hey, all that priestess has to do is go in the temple and take mushrooms and come out and tell us all <laughs> what to do. I want that job. That's what I want to do. And then you get into the job and you have, uh, you say, well, you know, I spoke with the woman with the cat's head and, and she said that you should, uh, you know, give me all your vegetables so, that <laughs> so there's no starvation and, you know, and my husband should have all your daughters, you know, he, he feels that it's going to be, um, it's going to be a curse on us if we, if we don't do what you uh, what we tell you to do. So, so this is how we think that this, these origins of, of disconnecting the mushrooms with religion started to happen.
basically, um, okay, um, I am going to give you the cure right now. Uh, it took me a while, but basically, hey, sorry for the delay. Um, okay. Right now, your whole body is coated with the Magellan. You already know that and so forth. Uh, well, when we're done here, hopefully, uh, you know, very quickly, very soon, uh, hopefully within a few days, we'll be 100% gone. And be, I would keep doing it once, you know, even after that, and, uh, just to ensure that basically... First of all, um, uh, I am going to add one thing that, I mean, these things that I'm going to tell you right now are optional. You don't have to do that, but you basically uh, can keep doing it. Uh, the raw apple cider vinegar is good to drink, and basically it helps, okay? Um, another thing you could actually drink, which is the, the, the strongest uh, uh, herbs that you could actually get, which is basically stronger than everything, even what I told you, the... Uh, grapefruit seed uh, extract. Uh, I would keep taking that, but uh, but in regards to it, clove. Grounded, whole, I don't, it doesn't matter if you eat it whole. I mean, I like spicy things, but to be honest with you, uh, uh, it's too much. All right. I, I would, uh, I would take it grounded. Uh, I would drink it in the water and so forth. And you, and uh, this thing actually gets the Morgellons, uh, uh fungi off you know, out of your mouth, because basically you need to get, get it out of there and so forth, because it is always going to keep trying to come back in. Uh, third, I mean fourth, I would recommend that you, uh, you do get some cholera silver, only for your eyes, because uh, basically the, the thing with me, I keep uh, saying that is only, uh, I know that somebody was telling me about the, look, the reason I uh, told you about the neutral silver at that time, I mean, it is the strongest one at all, and it is uh, real. Uh, color of silver. So you may want to just get one bottle or whatever you want in regards just to ensure that you can keep that out of your eyes. All right. Here's the cure. It's a very costly. All you're going to need is $1. Or look in your kitchen cabinet. You may already have it. Believe it or not, all you need is baking soda couple of tablespoons of baking soda and water, drink it, kills, brings your pH level up on your body, it kills all the Mogellans inside your body, you will end up with the runs or uh, diarrhea, it doesn't have to be the runs, you just will end up with diarrhea where you have to go to the bathroom, I mean that is good, you want to get it all up, okay, uh, basically, that is for the inside. Even though the other things is working and so forth, trying to get it out of the inside, this will really get it out of the inside because it's going to bring your pH lower, just like raw apple cider is supposed to do. Second, I was telling you that I was looking for something that wasn't going to because the things I was trying was, uh, I mean, it was very uh, harsh, okay? Because uh, what it is is... Um, because I was doing all kinds of, uh, I mean, I was dissecting everything um, to bathe with. You need one thing, baking soda. You want to get in the tub for 20, 30 minutes. You want to head everything. You need to get it because the thing you have to realize, 
Morgellons likes, the fungi Morgellons likes your hair, your head. Basically, that's where it wants to stick to. Those sores you have is the main body for Morgellon. It goes from there. You will, basically, that's what is driving you. So you need to actually first take the drink to get this thing to start coming towards the top. You will end up with sores all over your body. You're going to end up uh, starting getting basically, the, the reason you're going to get more sores is because um, the, uh, basically, the thing doesn't like your body. Oh, one quick thing. Bacon soda, when you're drinking bacon soda, you want to do it basically uh, uh, when you're not eating. Uh, the reason is because baking soda will actually cut down on the acid uh, to uh, process your food. Okay, so in regards to that, so that is all you need right now. Uh, it is working very well, but you got to keep doing it until you uh, get rid of the whole thing. Now you got to also realize one other thing is basically, look, um, this thing, uh, this uh, fungi is going to fight a little bit. Uh, it has, what, what this thing has created is neural, a neural network throughout your whole body. That's one of the reasons when you start doing it, like if, for instance, if you were just watching your head, you may feel pain down at the bottom because uh, they're all interconnected. Now the sores, when they come back up, I mean, um, you know, these things, um, what may end up happening is they start creating sores and they'll start getting higher and then they'll fall off and then your body will go back to normal. You will know that, that this stuff's working because the one thing is, once you start, once this thing starts shrinking, uh, it's just going to keep on shrinking. And it's basically until there's nothing left. The other thing you want to do is actually um, washing your home, okay? Because one of the problems you're going to have is you're going to start basically dropping all kinds of stuff all over your, uh, your house. Now, I come to find that basically all of a sudden my floor started getting sticky only because of the reason that in regards to it, uh, I mean, uh, when I first started, all of a sudden I start uh, dropping all these things. You won't be able to see it because it's all microscopic, okay? Uh, all this stuff is basically very uh, small. So there isn't much I can do in regards to, uh, you know, uh, what, you know, what you're seeing and so forth, what you get. I mean, in regards to, I mean, this, believe me, you'll know it's working because for the first time you'll feel your body. Uh, and for those people that are really suffering with Mojellans, the ones that are still getting the pains, once they start, start doing this, you're going to start noticing basically the difference in regarding to this thing. Because in regards to this thing is not going to be uh, torturing your nervous system. Never heard anything like this before. 
It's Postmodern Talking with Bobby Kahn and DJ LaDuce. Only on WLPN 105.5 FM. 30-second promo. Support for WLPN is provided by Quimby's Bookstore. Located in Wicker Park, Quimby's is an independently owned bookstore that sells independently published and small press books, comics, zines, and ephemera. Quimby's carries the unusual, the aberrant, the saucy, and the lowbrow. Quimby's is located at 1854 West North Ave in between Ashland and Damon and on the web at quimby's.com. Lumpin' Radio is supported by Sprout Social, a social media management tool that streamlines the creation, execution, and measurement of social campaigns for organizations of all sizes. Named one of Glassdoor's best places to work in 2016, Sprout Social is now seeking dedicated, talented professionals across all disciplines of software engineering, sales, and much more. If you're interested in joining the Sprout Social team, career information is on SproutSocial.com. What's up? And we're at the top of the hour. You're listening to WLPNLP 105.5 FM, Low Power Lumpen, out of Bridgeport, Chicago, where we're broadcasting live. And we're here with Lee and Ed and with the Reverend Don Lewis, a world-famous speaker and expert. And we're going to take this little bit of direction into something that uh, some people appreciate. One of the questions I got when I coming on was about fairies. Mm-hmm. It seems that there's a lot of people interested in the idea of fairies. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, of course, there are going to be plant spirits anywhere there are plants. So there are fairies in Chicago. Of course. And if, if you, we, we used to have a friend who had, had a fairy that, uh, as I recall, was rather contrary. Mm-hmm. And she um, had, had a wide range of interactions with this fairy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, and that was right here in Chicago. Uh, so, yes, there would be fairies in Chicago. Let's recap. It's the spirit of a plant. Yes, usually. But not... Or, or associated with a natural um, situation, like perhaps um, associated with a river or with, or with stones as well. I would love to see the Bubbly Creek Fairy then, in that case. And we're at a plant. Yes, usually. But not. Or, or associated with a natural um, situation, like perhaps um, associated with a river or with, or with stones as well. I would love to see the Bubbly Creek Fairy then, in that case. Well. <laughs> well, how would. Well, you know, in the ancient world, there, there, there were stories to that effect that. Um, that the, the spirits of nature could revenge themselves if, if, if nature were harmed. Um, I don't think people think of it that way these days, but that doesn't necessarily mean it's not, not a thing. 
So how do we hone it? So how could Leah here see... Um, well, there, there are a number of ways, and part of it, any exercise that develops clairvoyance will also help you to interact with nature spirits. But if you, um, if you're starting without any background, the thing that you're, wanting, that you're going to want to do is to build a relationship. And one of the things you can do is leave little offerings. Uh, I believe milk and whiskey is traditional, but it doesn't have to necessarily be that. But let them know that you want communication, and they will bring it to you. If you're a little farther along in terms of energy work and so forth, one of the, one of the good ways to work with trees is to bond with that tree through an exchange of energy. You offer it yours. Um, give it your energy if, if it's willing to take it. If it's not willing, then you go find another tree. And you receive energy back from it, and this creates a bond between you that can help to to, um, to foster communication. Does this have anything to do with why I've been hugging trees all the time? Is this a similar Well, actually, technique? yes. Actually, yes. I would say that if you find yourself compelled to hug trees on a regular basis, you probably are establishing exactly this sort of bond unconsciously. And it basically goes from your heart to the equivalent part of the tree, the tree's heart. But, of course, a tree doesn't have a heart in quite the same way we do, but that doesn't mean it doesn't have one. Um, and one doesn't necessarily have to be conscious of exactly what one is doing to create that bond. Um, and they, they absolutely can talk back to you. You just have to be willing to listen. And if you've never done it before, the, the way that you do that is basically just allow the message to come to you and don't deny it. Uh, people very often, if they're doing any kind of psychic work, they'll get the message and it will be right, but they'll say, oh, no, it couldn't be. It's my imagination. It's this. It's that. Um, the thing to do is, is to simply take note of it when you receive it. And you can, you can analyze it later, but you don't analyze it when it's coming mm. because that will tend to shut it down. So you let the communication come to you, and then you see what you've got. And, of course, the messenger can always warp the message, but you work that out after you've got it. And similarly, you, 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 um, you give your message to the tree through, through focused intent, and um, there are a variety of techniques you can use to, to make a stronger focus, such as seeing it go into the tree in the form of light or, or what have you. So I was kind of broken up with in the loading zone of human interaction. I later found out at this time I was also continually being exposed to lead dust and a leaking gas pipe. I found out that I had not only been passively, passively absorbing these toxins, but ingesting them feverishly in dusty corners, eating crackers that had rolled on the floor, rolling joints from the weed I had spilled on the ground, directly eating lead. I was at the hearing being held by the Chicago City Council on lead when I put the pieces together. The woman, an expert, said that the kids 
were more likely to ingest lead because they pick things off the ground, put things in their mouth, were close to the floor. My mind flashed back to all the time I had spent crawling around and laying on my floor. I later found out I had been unable to leave the floor because of the gas leak. That's a long way of saying I was on a break with someone because of an external influence. My heart raw and ragged, I spent the nights biking around the city, finding plants in alleys and carting them home. I spent time tending to the plants. It soothed my mind, gave me something to do with the sadness. And then I thought, why don't I try to talk to one of these plants? Why don't I connect with it? For some reason, I was drawn to a scraggly draconia, scraggly but tall. I gave it an offering, spices from the far corners of the earth, found in the spice store dumpster, mink oil, found in an alley with a bunch of rich college kids stuff he had left in the alley, um, and some weed dust. I sat quietly with the plant and gave it my energies, asked how it was doing, told it my name, what I was doing. This technique, this technique worked faster than I would imagine. Me and the plants started holding hands when I came home and before I left to go out in the world, we would passionately embrace, kiss. It was going well, if not weirdly. I soon began to realize the plant had kind of a ne'er-do-well attitude. For a while, I thought it was just because the plant was trying to seem cavalier. I'd made it clear this was just a short thing. I would think with word, glee the word, rebound. Vainly satisfied with meeting this cultural milestone, one that appears in movies, TV, magazines, my very own rebound, just like Rachel and Friends. It turns out the plant wasn't holding feelings back so it didn't get hurt. The plant, hunky and cute, but kind of a jerk. Despite that, I did have feelings for the plant. Um, I can't really remember how it ended, but I think we'd have stopped talking. The plant's jerky, self-satisfied energy got to be a little bit too much. I do think fondly of uh, having a rebound, though. Nance, I have a question. Uh, Nancy, sure. my apologies. Um, I, <laughs> Le- <laughs> Leah here. Uh, I have been eating mushrooms found in the forest recently, and when I eat them, I feel like I can only describe it as like an angelic glow, like some sort of vibrancy, like coming from within me in a way that no other food has ever done before. Do you experience this? And do you think that has anything to do with the way you've been able to grow this project? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, fungi are a lot more um, related to us than plants are. Mm. Um, fungi are more animal than plant kingdom. Mm-hmm. They're the fifth fifth kingdom or queendom, as we call it. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're a lot more related to us, and I feel like there's something um, when you're when you're eating something from the ground that's not cultivated, but it but has emerged from the broader ecology, you are, in a sense, communicating with the forest. 
or the woods or place much more than um, a, a plant, a more localized plant, vegetable would be. So mm-hmm. definitely, I can definitely, I, I get a big hit off of mushrooms as well yeah do you know have you read of any research of what that feeling or like what is that i mean the thing you explained makes sense that makes sense has anyone else ever have you read any research about what that could be is it just the novel vitamins (laughs) oh you know that kind of anecdotal research (laughs) yeah yes that's yes of course we just we discount that because no the uh you know the department of defense didn't fund it so it's kind of like that's a (laughs) no-go well i think you know when we talk about how trees carry um trees have dna of animals and broader plants in the area within them um mushrooms have the same because they're sourced because mycelia stretch is for so long so i think this idea of when you eat a fruity mushroom and that um when the hyphae has penetrated far and beyond where you find that fruity mushroom and has been in communication with trees and dying animals and mm-hmm. all sorts of things when you're when you're taking it up you're taking up more than just just the chanterelle or just the um, honey mushroom you're you're taking in mm. a complexity of what, where that landscape has emerged and i feel like that's that's um not only felt but it's 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 how mushrooms work so it's evident and so there's been a lot of research about how um you know what that mushroom is gathering as it's as it's going out and searching for nutrients and and the dna it's picking up at the same time so there's there is that but i think your kind of personal experience leah's um (laughs) rings true for for most most people who are sensitive Mm. to mushrooms as um as organisms um doing what they do so Nance, I have a question. Uh, Nancy, my apologies. Um, Good morning. My name is Linda Jennings. I'm a retiree nurse with National Nurses United. We also do environmental health care as well. My story is basically personal. I have women and children affected by environmental type of terrorism on the southeast side of Chicago. The issue is it's manganese in the air, which is a neurotoxin, and it's poisoning the earth, it's poisoning the air supply. Therefore, we need monitoring, and the state's budget cuts have cut down monitoring of the air on the southeast side, especially around those lead, coke, and pet coke plants. So we're urging you to understand what we need on the southeast side, which are corporations to monitor the air, people to get checked at least monthly in terms of their blood to see if manganese has is in the blood as well as lead. So National Nurses United is proud to work with Fair Economy Illinois to, to support HB four zero zero four. Thank you. Good 
morning. My name is Will Gazzardi. I'm state representative from the 39th district. Uh, I'm pleased to be joined here today by my colleagues Jamie Andrade and Greg Harris. Uh, and there are a number of other state representatives who are also co-sponsors of this initiative who couldn't be with us this morning, but uh, I know they're here, here with us in spirit. Um, the, I don't need to reiterate what we've just heard about how profoundly the budget crisis in this state is affecting our communities. Um, the, the cost in health, in justice, in... decency and safety in our communities have been profound. The budget crisis, we all know how bad it is. Um, but you know, the only options that people ever seem to talk about about how we're gonna solve the budget crisis is well, okay, we could cut more services to people who need them, or we can raise taxes on everybody, including poor people and working people. Um, but HB 4004 uh, proposes an alternative, right? This is not gonna solve the entirety of the budget crisis, but we got a billion dollars here that we are giving away every single year to the most profitable corporations in our state simply for being who they are. Um, and you know, a, a lot of the critics of uh, initiatives like this will say, oh, well this is, uh, it's anti-business. But I mean, look at someone like Jay. I mean, our, our corporate tax loopholes aren't benefiting small business owners in our community, right? They're not getting small businesses off the ground or helping them get started. All they're doing is ensuring that the people of Illinois, our tax dollars, go to line the profits of big corporations and the most profitable institutions of the state. And as our small businesses suffer, right, they don't have the luxury of being able to go to Springfield and demand a tax break, right? Jay can't show up in the legislature and say, hey, I'm thinking about laying off one or two employees unless you guys give me a big tax break. But you know, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange shows up hat in hand and we give them $85 million a year. Uh, that's fundamentally unfair, right? We're not asking for uh, some sort of radical transformation of the system here. All we're asking for is a level playing field so that small business and big business alike are competing on an equal plane. And the revenues that we raise from this uh, proposal, they're gonna go a long way toward funding the vital services that our communities desperately need. Uh, it's a really important initiative and I look forward to working with my colleagues to ensure Good morning, my name is Willa Gazzardi. I'm state representative from the For Sunra's centennial birthday, there were tens of hundreds of Sunra concerts, lectures, discussions, talks. Did I say multiple concerts across the city of Chicago? I myself saw Sunra upwards of four times. What type of effect does that have on a city? How much does that media consumption have as an effect upon the character of the people, upon the consciousness of a location? My friend Kevin had a concert last week in a basement and used one of Sun Ra's tricks, two saxes walking throughout the crowd, having the effect I had experienced this year at Chinese New Year during the parade when a dragon on the loose came into our restaurant, Seafood Harbor, and there were gongs going off around our head for a length of time that was long and luxurious. A physical effect of refreshment seemed to pass over me I had asked him earlier in the day before the concert, poorly quoting the book Radical Mycology, 
Will you do something in your concert, like communities that are more focused on nature do, where um, they do a joyous ritual of song or sacred dance to connect you to the greater consciousness? He said, yes, in fact, actually I will be doing that. Sooner asked than received. My wishes being granted before I had even thought to make them. The mycelium in the soil, the soil ocean, Mushrooms make up a greater amount of biomass than any other living organism on the earth. The soil ocean, they know before we do. What was the moment of expression in the concert? He asked people to say, money isn't real. In the concert, the bassist asked what the address was for a friend while he was standing on stage during the concert. Kevin, rightfully, as a young DIYer, asked if he was a cop. When he said that phrase, I felt a ring of truth go through my whole body. This kid was a cop in his band or something like that. I didn't want to bring it up because, after all, he's in his band, but... It really seemed pretty true. The next day, Kevin got an email from an unanswerable, oddly spelled out email address, also asking for the address for the concert venue, COPS. The name on the email that emailed him was Natasha Fields, um, a woman who I found had, by the same name who had died at age 37 in Fort Meade, Florida. It must have been a DIY show. I searched deeper on the internet, finding unconnected connections with no connection, but that I knew were connected. The man who was married to Natasha Fields, who emailed about the DIY show, Anthony Fields. He was sad because his wife had ran away to join a band. He moved to Chicago, Anthony Fields. He became a cop. He got into a lawsuit over defrauding the Security and Exchanges Commission for $90 billion of false contracts. Now, using his dead wife's persona, he was fishing for DIY joints. He was fishing for... It's all connected. For the times we've been wicked listeners, the devil has come to greet us. Gentle Eco Chicago listeners, or should I say followers, thank you for being with us here today. The fact that you're here with me, that we can speak to one another, join our hands in common prayer around the radio, is a very powerful fact. 
the fact that we all have this platform to communicate, aggregate, to speak the truth with candor is a very large liberty that we must not overlook. This is a place for all of us as long as it stands. And may the flag of WLPN and our 1,300 other low-powered FM brethren across the nation forever wave. May the people always have a choice, a choice to choose something other than monoculture, a choice to choose something other than lies and frightened half-truths. As a station, I promise you to always give you a choice and to always offer you our attempts at seeking the truth here on Eco Chicago. If we must ever tell you a lie, it will only be to protect you, and we'll eventually tell you the truth later. Now, listeners, you are hearing me, and I wonder, do you trust me? Do you trust me so implicitly as not to question me? Do you trust me implicitly with your lives? Would you part your hair and tilt your neck back as I beckon the edge of your throat with a blade? I think you would, and all... Listeners, do you know when the media is telling you lies and when it's telling you the truth? Did you know that the interview was invented by Americans, those crash and brash creatures? It wasn't always like this. Do you remember last week when I said we were going to talk about the Chicago River summit? Did we talk about that, listeners? Were you really listening or were you just hearing what I said and taking it as a fact? Ladies and gentlemen, please listen and pay attention. We'll see you next week.
organizations like Planned Parenthood, Mikvah Challenge Teen Health Council, AIDS Foundation, and True Star. So stay tuned, guys, and if you guys want to get interviewed, come through. Hey, guys, you're listening to Pop-Up Youth Radio, where we're all having a blast. Making radio by youth for youth. Guys, we're back. This is Pop Up Youth Radio, and we're here live at the National Museum of Mexican Art in Pilsen. <laughs> I'm here today. Well, my name is Emmanuel. My name is Adeline. My name is Zephora. My name is Emilio. And you might be asking, what are we here for today? Well, 